What's on your mind? That is a loaded question. I mean, so many emotions have taken place over the last, I think I heard Martha say, we've been at this like 10 weeks. Over the last 10 weeks, as we've been in this season, this phase of, this first phase of COVID and, and the public response, and there's just a, a lot of complexity to trying to, to answer that question because there have been different levels of our response. Um, and I, I think about our mind. My mind has not always been joyful over the last uh, eight to ten weeks, I have to tell you. Um, I've not always sensed the presence of God. I, I know the presence of God has been with me, but I haven't always felt that on an emotional level, just contending with the challenges. And, and so as we come today, we're looking at one element of our soul. You'll remember we're in the midst of talking about the human soul and, and what that is. How do you, how do you define that? We've thrown it around in different ways in our vocabulary and our culture. The word has changed significantly. But really, it is the integration, the integration of our personhood. And as followers of Christ, we would say that unification or that integration of the body. We talked about that. In fact, we hear in this text that Brenda read for us, uh, make your bodies a living sacrifice. And so the body is so important. Uh, we are a soul with a body during this finite stage that we live out in this journey here on earth. And then there is the mind. We're going to talk about that and the will, our personal volition, our decision-making. And all of that is culminated with the presence of the Holy Spirit and God abiding with us in this life and in the next. And so we talk about the human soul and whether it be the physical dimension or the mental and emotional or the will, all of that comes together. And I, I really believe the author of Romans understood this. He was talking about the atonement that was provided in those first 11 chapters, how salvation has been made available for all, both the Jew and the Gentile. Anyone that is not Jew is a Gentile for the whole world. And that Christ was the substitutionary atonement uh, for all of humanity to offer forgiveness and everlasting life. And so he walks through all of that solid foundational theology. And then he, he puts a pointer there. He says, therefore, and that therefore is a sign, if you would, like a road sign that he's about to say something significant. In light of all that I've said about the work of Christ and salvation history and the love and mercy and grace of God, hear this, the writer's saying. Hear this. And so let's hear again what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, men and women, in view of God's mercy, 
fact that you did not receive what you deserved. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He's referencing back to the Judeo understanding of appeasing the wrath of God, pleasing God, making atonement on one's own, offering sacrifices as in the Old Testament with unblemished animals and and vegetation. All of this now really comes to giving yourself your heart, as we talked about last week, that the body is the habitation location of the Holy Spirit and that we are making a sacrifice not based on good works, but on a heart that is obedient to God, a heart that is turned to God. And so we want to make that holy, consecrated, set it apart, and pleasing to God because this is your true and proper worship. And so worship takes on a whole different feel in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And we give ourselves as a living offering unto God. And then he goes on to say, so much, there is so much contrast in one's religiosity and now that it is based in religion with Jesus Christ, a relationship, I should say. And also a transformation of the mind. If you look at Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, all of that works righteousness of the Old Testament does not give you redemption. It simply pointed to one that was in need, uh, that was needed in Christ and uh, the Christology of our theology but also don't buy into the values, as Scott mentioned early as he opened up, the values of this world. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as I think about this transformation, it is a really not just an exchange of the list of my flesh, but for a list of moral failure, a moral effort. No, rather, it is a whole new mindset. It is a whole new paradigm based in Christ. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Paul said we would be a peculiar people when the world would look at us because our values are so different. It's a change, an exchange for redemptive things for one's mind be renewed. And we begin to ask the question as followers of Christ in this understanding of the soul and the body, where is the mind with this? And we find that in the New Testament, it says, have the mind of Christ. And so a question for us in our thinking is, we raise the the challenge for ourselves, what would Christ do? You remember those bumper stickers, right? 
what would Christ think? And how would that thinking follow with action? A life transformed starts with a renewed mind as we talk about the soul. And the beautiful thing about one of the scriptures that was read this morning is God knows our mind. Um, from that scripture out of Psalm 139, it says, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows what we're thinking. God cares about what we're thinking about, and he desires to renew our minds. You know, there's different levels of thinking, and I'm not a, a psychologist nor a psychiatrist, but I, I know there's that primal side of us, instinctive side of us, kind of a layer of thinking. Some of us have felt that in terms of the whole survival mode that we've been in for the last eight to ten weeks. And if you have any medical anxiety, it has really thrown you. Because if you're like me, you're like, maybe I've got it. You begin to think, is that a symptom? And is, they're saying it's manifested in different ways. And so you begin... And your mind can actually deceive you. Now, be wise and be tested if you need to. But my point is, the mind has a way of playing tricks on us. And, and then there's a higher thinking. That's what sets us apart from other animals. We are in relationship with God and with one another. We're able to think and feel, we're able to, to make moral decisions. That higher value uh, in, in education has always been a part of our DNA. Um, John Wesley was real big on it. He said there were four things by which we ought to do our theology. Foundational would be scripture. Uh, that is rock solid in the first touchstone of doing theology in our belief system. He said tradition can play a role and experience can play a role. But he said reason was very important too. He did not believe that we should, should somehow check our brains at the door when we come to church. He wanted us to have as Methodist Christians a reasonable faith, a thought through faith so that we could articulate it to others and so that we uh, could gauge a lifestyle as people who think. Universities that were started, seminaries were started out of this movement called Methodism. And so he valued the mind, but he also valued the heart. And I think he was able to connect those in balance. I mean, some of the seminary professors that really impacted me were men and women who were brilliant in terms of their cognition and yet had a passion for God and were able to bring all that together in the mind and it informed 
their discipleship. And it just doesn't have to do with those in higher education. It can be, I know people who are wise, who have no or little formal education. But that idea of bringing together the head and the heart and understanding the soul and recognizing that the the brain and the mind is fallen just like the rest of the body and it needs accountability. It needs challenge. It needs community. I I remember a a woman uh, shared with me in a local church one time uh, she was in a, a committee meeting and she, let's just say she lost it. Okay, if you can envision that. And she said after the meeting, preacher, I just say what I think, as though that's a virtue. And, and, and I thought to myself, you may not be thinking right. You may not be thinking right. And thus you're saying something that may not be well received, or at least with grace. It's all connected together. The soul and the spiritual formation be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's all part of our sanctification, being made holy. We see that in the entirety of who we are. And yet we know that there is human frailty even in the mind. I think of a dear woman who had so much to do with my life, and I'm grateful that she gave birth to her daughter. It was my mother-in-law, Carrie Sue. That's a good Southern name, isn't it? Carrie Sue. She loved Jesus. She was a kind soul, very gregarious. Uh, We could see the early onset of dementia. We were able to take her in, and in the itinerary, she would go with us. She spoiled our children. She loved every person that loved us at every church. But it was sad to see her mind deteriorate. But she never had a diminished soul. While her mind gave way, full body of work of her life was a testimony to God. It was a cruel disease, but we never questioned who was her first priority and who was her God. And so what are some things to do to take care of one's Mind, And as I close out, I just think of things that have been helpful for me. I think they're biblical without question, but they've been helpful for me. And one is a mindfulness, trying to be fully present, even in the chaos of reentering our community and marketplace. And even as we reset as a church, being fully present and allowing our mind to rest. What has happened? Be still my soul, the writer says in scripture. 
Be still and know that I am God. I have a good friend. She's a deacon, associate pastor at a church where I served. And, and her counselor said to her, um, she said her name and then she said, you know, sometimes you just need to spend 10 minutes not thinking about anything. Give your mind a break. And then try not to ruminate like a cud for cattle on one thing, catastrophizing to the next. Don't let your mind run ahead of what may not be the future. One of the things we can rely on is the faithfulness of God. Today, and God gives us the strength and the grace for today, and we'll trust him for tomorrow. Think good thoughts. It's easy to go negative when we watch the news and we hear all the political rhetoric spewed. We can jump on that bandwagon, but let's doubt. Let's stand apart. Let's let the transformation of our mind not be something that's conformed to the world, but to hope and possibility and the recognition of God. And then having somebody come alongside of you, a counselor, someone, a trained um, clinician who can help you sort through some of the thoughts that may not be helpful and help you to refocus on good thoughts. The brain is a very, very intricate, delicate, yet precious organ of the human soul. Maybe that's why Paul said this. Finally, brothers and sisters, in that fourth chapter of Philippians, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, if anything is life-giving or praiseworthy, then think on these things. And whatever you've learned and received or heard from me and seen in me, put into practice. And I like how he ends this. The peace of God will be with you. There is an abiding peace that comes when we're present in the moment, when God's spirit witnesses to our spirit and gives us confidence to keep us in the right frame of mind. Let's pray together.